Hello everyone, this is Jack with the Book Club from Hell, and before we start this episode, I would like to make a brief announcement. We have chased meaning away, in its place grows the tower, always expanding and leaving blissfully fulfilled employees in its wake. I am a doctor who specialises in souls, a potent advertising slogan leaves ripples in the world of the spirit. Love is remembered, maybe S was responsible for everything, but who else do I have? Blending Franz Kafka, Mikhail Bulgakov, Jacques Ellul, and Stalker, Shadow of Chernobyl, Tower is a search for meaning in a world no longer organised for humans. So goes the blurb for my upcoming novel, Tower, to be released in November 2023 and available on my website, www.jackbc.me, that is, www.jackbc.me. Thank you. Jack. Levi. The Book Club from Hell. We've got a Q&A episode because we're currently reading Spengler and reading a few chapters of Spengler takes more than a week. <laughs> yeah, and so we yeah, need to space yeah. out episodes between Spengler episodes because we're both getting brain broken by all of his German neologisms rendered into <laughs> English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure all his new words are sort of hard to follow in German given that he uses them in such strange ways, but it's made even worse by by taking it from German into English. That said, I feel like I'm slowly becoming acclimatized to Spengler's moon logic. <laughs> his, and it, his moon it's logic. like reading yeah. Evola in that I'm now... I now understand how... Like, I understand the causative mechanism of history. <laughs> and as such, his his work is making a disturbing amount of sense now. <laughs> Viewing everything morphologically and physiognomically. <laughs> so we've got we've got some questions. Some of our lovely Patreon subscribers have sent in questions and we're contractually obliged to answer them. So most of these are from J Man, who every now and then will just question bomb us. <laughs> got quite a few from <laughs> From Saint Marzano as well. Shout out to all of the people on Patreon, actually. Shout out to Yutz, Heilick, Nick B, J Man, Not San Marzano, Supremacy, Abraxas, and at Double Speed. Thank you very, very much. We'll start off with some of San Marzano's yeah, questions because those are those are less because they're more <laughs> sensible, more coherent than J Man's. <laughs> we, need, we need to ease ourselves in with something. Just on the Discord, San Marzano is just like the adult, <laughs> the adult in the room, the sensible adult in the room. <laughs> Shout out to San Marzano's unborn child, actually. Yeah, San Marzano Jr. <laughs> Coming along, going to be a good little capitalist. <laughs> All right, so San Marzano's first question. Who's the one who came up with the idea of doing the podcast? I think it was you. Oh, they want some backstory, some mm. more. Yeah, so at the time, well, <laughs> we could just give them the minimum answer. Yeah, it was Levi. Levi. Levi's responsible <laughs> we could, for We it. could extrapolate a little bit. I'll extrapolate a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so at the time, Jack, uh, so was it 2020? Yeah. Late yeah. 2020, we we're sort of starting to talk about this idea. So like Jack and his partner were living in London and I was living in uh, Melbourne and the lockdown sucked, right? (laughs) As everybody knows. They sound so uh, fucking rough in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they sucked a lot. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and throughout that time, like Jack 
was changing careers into writing. So he's about to, as everybody knows, he's about to publish his first book, self-publish, Tower, coming out soon. And we're going to do an episode on it uh, with the return of the prodigal return son. Return of the king, Edward. <laughs> Ed, Mr. Ed's coming. Return of the king, Edward. Um, yeah, so at the time, Jack was playing around with like Substack and some other things. I think, is your Substack no, still I up? down. I'd encourage people to go and find Jack's Substack. Ah, oh, damn. Yeah, anyways, his writing was good on Substack. Um, and I was at uni, but whilst I was at uni, like doing engineering stuff, I like to do side projects. I couldn't keep, keep focused on one thing. So I built a number of side projecty things and um, throughout uni. And yeah, we just wanted to do something to keep in touch, basically, whilst um, Jack was in London. And one of the things that we came up with was like, oh, why don't we do a podcast together and let's just play mm. around with that. And our first couple of ideas were like, let's look for weird ideas on like weird ideas or weird subcultures or something. And if you listen to the first couple of episodes, we still refer we refer to it as like Pose Laws podcast. Um, then something else. I think we had another name there for a bit. Are we the crazy ones? I think. Are we the crazy ones? <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, like because we were reading books, I think we both independently said, "Let's read Bronze Age mindset." In, like to people who asked, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like some like people were asking us what the podcast is about. And I think both of us independently of one another described it as a book club from hell. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, oh, why? Why don't we just call it that? <laughs> Actually, it describes what we're doing. Yeah, it requires much less explanation than Poe's Law or Are We the Crazy Ones, both of which are a bit too vague. And also just like the, the Poe's Law thing, the thing about it it being hard to tell if something's satire or not on the internet, with almost all of the people we read now, it's just not satire. It's, they're dead serious. So that, that idea fell apart pretty quickly. Yeah, even Bronze Age is like, in, in hindsight, Bronze Age pervert, me thinking that that was possibly satire was me just not being involved enough yeah, yeah. in the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite, he's, he's, quite, he's quite sincere. Yeah, so. hence why we want to redo particularly our early episodes. Which for for a number of reasons, I think we would do a much better job of now. We do Bronze <laughs> Age revisiting. Trash. <laughs> I don't know if I can be fucked doing Poseidus again. But- no, no, we don't need to do Poseidus again. We'll do Bronze Age again. But he's got a new book coming out. Yeah, well, I think it's out now. New book coming out, or just I think it out. is out. He just released. I it. think it's under his his real yeah. name as well. Uh, yeah, so we can do that one. Uh, we could re-release or just do like a shorter version of the Bronze Age original Bronze Age one. I think Evola obviously would be the other big one to redo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Revolt Against the Modern World, I think, would be worth redoing. Also, our audience seems to have an unlimited appetite for Evola. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I enjoy Evola. I just need to take a long break between books. I'd be interested in doing one of his. He's, he was really into yoga, right? And, oh, yeah, yeah, he loved it. Sort of Hindu, Hindu stuff. Yeah, so maybe we could do one of his his books in that domain. It's a little bit different. Yeah, so that's anyways. That's the origin story, roughly speaking. Yeah, very basically, we wanted something to do so that we could we could stay in contact with each other while we were on different continents. Yeah, and also like yeah, because Jack and I have been friends for quite a while, and so being on different continents. And also during lockdowns and stuff. But I also think, like, as part of just, um, how would you put this? Like, 
for Jack, it's very it makes a lot of sense to sort of build up an audience of people who are interested in his things. So as an author, and for me because I do software engineering and I like building web stuff, it's like made sense to like learn about the creator economy and start making stuff online and just like check out that stuff. Yeah, it sort of worked out well from a skill point of view as well. From a skill point of view, but also temperamentally, both of us like looking into this sort of stuff anyway (laughs) like we were talking before we started recording we were talking about future episodes to do and levi mentioned that he'd already read the columbine shooters manifesto just offhand (laughs) yeah jack's like why don't we read columbine i'm like oh yeah i've already read that that's cool we can do that yeah there's there's a lot of temperamental match too with with this sort of project In, in an Emersonian sense, we're, we're truly demonstrating self-reliance <laughs> when we read just pure brain damage <laughs> literature and then talk about it on the internet. And it's interesting as well because we do do a lot of reading on our own, like our own outside of the book. Club. Yeah. Thank God this isn't the only reading that we're doing. <laughs> uh, and the reading that I tend to, be, tend to do is like very science, technology-oriented economics occasional mm. philosophy and so it's it juxtaposes very well against the stuff that we cover in the podcast yeah what i read is much more in line with the podcast actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah and shout out to any dudes listening <laughs> which is probably like 95 like of our audience uh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, no, not everyone. I know. Shout out to any women listening. I know at least two women that listen. So that's absolutely yeah. wild. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. One of which is my girlfriend. So <laughs> the number of female listeners so. has, in my mind, just increased by an undefined amount. <laughs> well, does it count if one of the women listens because her husband is our friend <laughs> and <laughs> she listens with her husband? <laughs> Maybe. I guess it still counts. counts. Um, so, yeah, if you uh, want to do stuff, maintain your friendship or make new friends, like picking out an activity to do is really good. Yeah, that's project, really, really doing good. Doing a project together rather than just like, I mean, catching up on the phone is always good. Like Jack and I still catch up on the phone but and just to talk or whatever. Um, but having a shared project is also a nice way to maintain relationships. Yeah. That's also something I found after leaving uni is that it's easy to let friendships drift apart. I think guys are yeah, much worse with this than women. But having some sort of project yeah. that can keep you together is really, really good. Yeah, anything where I don't actually have to make direct eye contact is really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, should we go into the next question? Yeah. Sandbarzano asks... Are there any books you've been pleasantly surprised with on the show that you thought you would dislike? There are books that I suspected I might like, like Sun and Steel, and anyone who's listened to that episode knows how much I loved it. But I really liked that book, and I read a number of Mishima's books on on the basis of having really, really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mishima was probably... The big one. But I don't know if that uh, completely counts. because oh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by Jack. I I'd like it. Jack. <laughs> no, the, the furry David comic. Hopkins. I didn't hate that. Yeah, I didn't hate that. I found it weird. Like, excuse me. I found it morbidly interesting. <laughs> I 
found um, the themes interesting. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't get, get around like the rabbit. Boobies. Oh, raw egg nationalism. Raw egg nationalism. Nice yeah, surprise. I was expecting that to suck, but that was actually that was actually quite good. Oh, Ernst Jünger. Yeah, that was that was that was crazy. That was a nice surprise actually as well. I was expecting. Um, I was expecting that to be pretty good though, and actually like Mishima. On the basis of Storm of Steel, I've gone on to read a bunch of his other novels, which are also good, but there is, there's definitely an Ernst Junger novel. He has basically a style, and all, all of his books are just like an internal monologue of some disaffected yet outwardly conforming man in a society going mad with technique. <laughs> Those are his books. <laughs> Every now and then he'll go into something like War is an Inner Experience, Actually, yeah, with his novels, like he has a style of novel that he does. He also has a style of nonfiction, which is just about the metaphysics of war. <laughs> um, yeah, those are the ones that I think stood out to me. Um, Crash, actually, by J.G. Ballard. You didn't read that one. Was that a, a solo episode that you did? Yeah, I would like to redo some of the solo episodes because I don't think they work that well. I definitely do another i'd redo the crash episode i loved crash i was expecting to hate it but it's an absolutely fantastic really yeah well i'd heard i chose it because i heard it was this book about people having sex with cars and (laughs) i thought i thought it'd be terrible but it was really really good an absolutely fantastic novel (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) Um, yeah okay i might do that flicking through can life prevail by (laughs) panty linkler I wouldn't say I was pleasantly surprised because I'm not going to say I really liked that book, but I was expecting it to be really turgid and quite preachy, but it wasn't that preachy and it was quite snappily written. So that was, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, but he had the caveats like that you were expecting to dislike. I assume that I'm going to dislike all the books that we read. So <laughs> 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 with the exception, with the exception of like Rothbard and, and Atlas Shrugged, <laughs> I just yeah. assume that it's going to dislike everything. <laughs> Actually, Mike Mars books, uh, I, was ex- I was expecting them yeah, to they're, they're be right. basically 4chan posts. And look, they, they are poll posts, but they're just better punctuated than most stuff posted on the politically incorrect board of 4chan. So there's that. They were better than I thought they'd be. Is it still the case that 4chan hates us? I don't I just don't think 4chan is aware of us. So I'd, <laughs> I'd, that's good. I don't think I that's even that something way. that they consider. <laughs> but if they do hate us, I was thinking like if if we make enemies on the internet and 4chan is one of those I suppose 4chan can take some like pretty decisive action against things they dislike but <laughs> I <laughs> don't still think just don't think that's the problem I'd be very surprised if they were even aware of our existence <laughs> even on boards like lit which have the most crossover with what we do some some of the people yeah. on our discord I'm pretty sure are litizens but yeah, on on the whole I doubt the board is aware of us apart from F Gardner shout out to F Gardner shout out to F Gardner Constantly appearing and arguing for the the flat earth theory of the world from a Buddhist perspective and then disappearing again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's funny as well about F. Gardner, because I occasionally watch his YouTube channel just to see what he's up to. And he's still in that penthouse, I'm pretty sure. I fucking love his YouTube channel. I've watched most of his videos now. I remember seeing him, he posted... um, uh, a while ago, a video of him being like, "I've just moved into a penthouse thanks to my book sales." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm, I'm a, I'm 
Living the dream. I'm now a famous author living the dream in my penthouse. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the video he did, which was the, um, it was talking about like Masonic imagery or something in a Sonic movie. Oh, what was it? It, it wasn't that, but it was something similarly true. Um, anyway, if people are interested, I'd highly recommend F Gardner's YouTube channel at famous author. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, youtube.com slash at famous author. He has a video four months ago saying, I started a literary renaissance and I've moved into a penthouse. Thank you. <laughs> I bought a penthouse. Oh, man. I bought a penthouse thanks to my successful book series. I wonder if he actually did. <laughs> we will never know. He's. I'm inclined to take everything he I would says love to- at his word, so. I'll take him at his Can word. people please like petition F Gardner via social, various social media channels to come on the show? I would love I mean, look, first. The most straightforward way for that to happen would be for us to petition him through social media channels <laughs> on Discord. To come on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Through the Discord server. But if that we, we put, both part of. if we put more if we put more pressure on him, people in the Discord Send him a message on Discord. And don't be mean. Be nice because he's a nice guy, <laughs> even though we trash-talked him a lot on the, on, the, on the episode. He's actually a really like, yeah, lovely guy. Yeah, he's very, very polite. And that would make, them, that would make the nut- most sense to interview an author. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we want to start interviewing authors. Yeah, yeah. That are relevant to the show. Um, so F. Gardner would be really cool because he's, he's got such a funny – no, I won't say funny. He's got a very different outlook on the world to us. Yes, <laughs> radically different. Okay, what about this? What is a book you've read for the show that you've disliked the most and why? There are a few books. There's the the elevated pantheon of things I've I've truly hated for for different reasons. <laughs> My Twisted World by Elliot Roger, in part because of how I read it, because I was going on holiday and didn't want to ruin my week away with with Elliot Roger. So I read the entire thing in like a bit over a day, uh, taking notes as well, which slows down how quickly I read. And so I was, I was just mainlining Elliot and just had vile dreams <laughs> the night of, of reading it. And it's so full of hatred, self-loathing and self-pity that it it's an extremely unpleasant book to to spend a lot of time with to intensely read so i really hated that one the beginning was the end by oscar kismayat was awful i <laughs> 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 point one levi i, was, I've, <laughs> I, got I think you with i've that become <laughs> much more much more tolerant or just more desensitized to aggressive pseudoscience during this podcast but that book is astonishing in both how completely smooth-brained the pseudoscience is. Like, let me, let me offer a retelling of the book of Genesis in light of the human brain or the, the monkey brain-eating hypothesis of human evolution while offering just the most condescending, aggressive, and completely incorrect descriptions of human biology. Not even stuff that's open to... That's that open to interpretation, like just getting basic anatomical facts wrong. Yeah, there's a profound mixture of arrogance and stupidity. Arrogance and yet getting things that, that is... are just like declarative facts wrong. 
<laughs> just wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I found that very He's definitely up there. What about you? Yeah, probably for me, my twisted world in the beginning was the end. The worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feminist glaciology was irritating because it's a way of looking at the world that just given where I was born, I have a lot of contact with, so I'm particularly irritated by that kind of shit lib. (laughs) Racism dressed up as enlightened anti-racism. But that was also really (laughs) short, so I didn't didn't truly come to hate it. I got to say, like... If you if you listen to our early episodes, we'd often say how much we dislike the the books, and we've been saying that less, I think, because we've built a tolerance for <laughs> yeah, so reading stuff out. that we dislike. And I I used to think like, well, it still probably is the case that there's sort of an exponential decay function of dislike as a function of time distance from the event of actually having read the book and released the episode. So it's hard to say now in hindsight. The one that stands out though, yeah, is probably going to be Dugan actually. Oh, Dugan was pretty bad. <laughs> Dugan. Dugan, I really actually no, I think Dugan might be. <laughs> the translation we had was done by I think a large number of probably amateur translators. So some of the chapters were lucid and fine to read and I really didn't mind it. Yeah. And some of them sure. were pure That's slavish. Fair where I was actually using, like, reading the English word order and then thinking through, okay, how would I say this in Czech? And then like, working out what they meant from that. from Because I'm pretty sure they were just using Russian word order and things like that and just slapping it into English. <laughs> so that made it worse to read because uh, some yeah. of it was so poorly translated. Maybe if I had to pick another one, yeah, like definitely Elliot Roger would be up there. Um. Yeah, he's just such a cretinous piece of trash. Yeah, he was just a um, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other one that I really <laughs> disliked, actually, I don't know if it was so much that I disliked the book or if I just disliked the authors, was uh, that Red Pill book that we read. Oh, Practical Female Psychology. Yeah. Yeah, with them. Just have a profound dislike for with just for Yeah, I think the authors were definitely aggressively pathetic which made me dislike the book more <laughs> they just seem like such weasels just the the insecurity yeah. saturated each page yeah that was pretty I don't bad. really have a problem with with pickup per se i went through a phase of being into with some constraints on not being a total piece of piece of trash i i had my when it, from when I when I had my first major breakup to um, essentially like my current relationship, I had a few years there of being single or dating around and stuff with like some short term relationships. So I think like when you're in your twenties, Jack can't relate to this because he's been happily married. <laughs> got married like really, years young. <laughs> really young, really <laughs> young. Uh, but I don't know if you remember like trying to pick up girls. Like there is definitely a skill to it, and it's worth like learning some social skills and all that sort of stuff and developing confidence in yourself and yada, yada, yada. No, no, but no, then no. These the, guys just what you need in. to do is to get to 130 <laughs> kilos with 5% body fat, be unable to even make <laughs> eye contact with another human being because all you have been doing for the past few years is squats, <laughs> bench press, and deadlift. 
It's the that's the apex of human sexual strategy. Covered in back back. Oh yeah, naturally. Because yeah, you have to start taking <laughs> trends. So you've got you've got a fucked up hairline, crazy back knee, gyno, <laughs> massive mood swings. <laughs> Your back looks like the surface of Mars. <laughs> yeah, but you've also got ab veins, so it's okay. Yeah, you've got varicose for veins rolling up the <laughs> like like. The surface into of the your skin looks up like, the back of your leg. Looks like blue spaghetti wrapped in ham. <laughs> women love that. Just can't Yuck. get enough of that look. Yeah, yeah. Women really love that shit. They can see how veiny the back of your knee is, and they infer that your 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 dick also must be incredibly veiny and therefore attractive. <laughs> and you can't get them pregnant because you've completely suppressed sperm production. It's, just, it's incredible. There's actually there's actually no downside to taking trend for dating. <laughs> don't worry about yeah, it. I'm so completely I, I infertile. Just... <laughs> don't need to use a condom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's to- totally safe. Also, I haven't been laid in like six years, so like I definitely don't have an STI. Because I've not left the gym <laughs> for six years. <laughs> and women don't normally talk to me. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm actually mean, just talking to a sex doll. <laughs> this would actually just be the conversation you're having in your head while you're aggressively staring at her across the room. This is a conversation I'm about to have as she's calling the police. Yeah, well, you're just giving her laser eyes. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, I will finish this sentence if it kills Go me, Jack. <laughs> I understand. I, I went into it being sympathetic because for all the misgivings I have with the red pill movement and pickup and stuff where it can get quite chauvinistic and, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah, I I I I think like there's an element of I, I understand why guys get into it, young guys, because you know, they want to have success with women. And then I just read that book and I was like, these guys are so fucking pathetic. And also they're completely <laughs> yeah, stupid. It's the pathetic <laughs> and and you're you're three three divorced dudes trying to give me give other dudes advice about like how to be successful with women and how to have good relationships. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, maybe you guys should rethink <laughs> what you're doing here <laughs> before you write a book about it. <laughs> I don't think they need to rethink. They need they need to further overanalyze heterosexual dating. I think if they just <laughs> if they keep analyzing it without female input, I think eventually they'll get to the truth without any female input. Yeah, they can just come to a priori truths about. I think that's the most important thing to working yeah. out how to date women is not to get any female input. I think it's it's probably a bad idea to listen to. What it's women a purely think rational. If you're if you yeah rational, ignore female opinions. Just just think about game theory. And that's probably how you <laughs> think, <up> about, <laughs> think about evolutionary game theory. Just keep on reading more and more books about Neo-Darwinism. Yeah, and eventually whatever you do, like don't talk to lion. a woman. I, I think that actually will hurt your chances in terms of, of In fact, and if one does try to talk to you, just run away. Literally run away. Neg them and then run away. <laughs> <laughs> your nose is too big. <laughs> Start running away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet she wants to suck my dick now. <laughs> Jokes on her. You'd be prettier if you lost if you lost five kilos. <laughs> you shout over your shoulder as you're running away. <laughs> Dive into some bushes. Yeah. Um. So they gave really good advice. That the problem was that the book was just a bit pathetic. It's just a shame that Jack and I found that book after we were in. 
after we're in relationships. It, I wonder what it says about me that the misogyny in that book worried me less than just how pathetic the three authors were. <laughs> that that was what really bugged me about the book. I, I've been thinking a lot about chauvinism and misogyny recently. <laughs> because, <laughs> go on. Because my girlfriend, my girlfriend, uh, I, I told a very, <laughs> very poor taste joke about about my ex girlfriend in one of my in one of the recent episodes, and and my current and I, I girlfriend listened to it. Just like, no, no, you d- you left one of the jokes in. I, oh, really? There were two jokes that oh. I made during recording, and I asked you to remove one of them because even <laughs> like, okay, so <laughs> listeners, when we when when we record the podcast, um, I try to. So, like, Jack's responsibility is editorial. So there are certain the, things that don't make part, it into the final product. <laughs> and but for the most part, we try to leave as much in there as we can, you know, except for dead space or whatever. Um, and I almost, I think maybe twice I've asked you to delete something from mm. from the recording. Like, and that was one of the times because it's just like that joke was just so bad and is not, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, whatever. <laughs> but one of them, I, I made two jokes in there and one of them, mm. my current girlfriend was like, you said this and you made this horrible, like just completely tasteless <laughs> joke about your ex-girlfriend. I was like, okay, well, fair enough. Let me think about that. Um, well, firstly, just so you know, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think no. So if, secondly, if you think about the game theory of getting a really huge female audience, <laughs> what do women like? Well, they like being insulted because we've really learned that from practical female psychology. So I, we've just got to lean further into this. And then I was thinking also like just in terms of actual misogyny and, and um, chauvinism. Like we we read uh, some books on here <laughs> that are definitely in that realm. One of which is the PUA book. Um, and I was thinking, like, where's the line with jokes, though? And and can people really tell if I'm just like just being um, just a what would you say a, a shit poster, mm-hmm. <laughs> just trying to get a rise out of people <laughs> versus like legit legit misogyny. Oh, even even like legit, I don't know, like all the other crazy stuff that we read. I think the line is what <laughs> whether something <laughs> gets us more or fewer <laughs> listeners. I'm all for crowdsourcing morality in this respect. Should we just start being really racist? We should start being racist and misogynistic. Will that help us with our views or will that hurt our views? <laughs> we would probably get a different listener base. I kind of like the fact that we criticise red pill so i hope that if anybody came to us because they were hoping to get their red pill beliefs confirmed that we dissuaded them of some of those stupid beliefs so i think i think we're doing all right being in your late teens or early 20s is what dissuades most people from from being red pill (laughs) yeah also talking to women yeah talking to women should dissuade you of your red pill beliefs Having, why you having meaningful it. relationships with women, yeah. <laughs> uh, have you ever heard of this thing called a friend? <laughs> Try to have one of those. That's a chick. Well, no, because because what what about when she starts speaking to you in womanese and reprograms you? <laughs> starts reprogramming you. Yeah, yeah. We oh, learned a lot. We learned a lot of really interesting things from the um, practical female psychology episode. Profoundly stupid. Yeah, when they use big when women use big words. And they talk to you. Just that scrambles the male mind, <laughs> and you stop being able to think clearly. I'm. I don't think I'm misrepresenting 
their argument either. I think that's actually a fairly accurate uh, presentation of, of the sort of things that they believe. <laughs> Next question. I work at San Marzano Capital. So this is from San Marzano. San Marzano presumably isn't his real name. <laughs> it's just his Discord I'm handle. pretty sure that's his real name. I think he's a bear named San Marzano. Is this, he's a bear named San And on his birth certificate, there's no first name or last name. It's just San Marzano. Just one name. <laughs> it's like McLovin. Um, so I work at San Marzano Capital, and you guys are trying to pitch the podcast. What are the future plans for the show, and what are some things you are hoping to achieve in the next year? Where do you see the show at that point, and are you happy with how it's progressing so far? Uh, give us some of those Solana bucks, you little little shitcoiner, San Marzano. Don't come at me with those shitcoin bucks. I don't want your filthy shitcoin money. <laughs> I'd rather be poor. <laughs> <laughs> I, on the other hand, will accept payment in anything so long as it has some value. <laughs> um, no, so what? Sorry, the question is: uh, What are the future plans? Okay, let's chop this up into multiple multiple parts. What are the future plans for the show? Future plans. So we've been talking to each other a lot about future plans. Actually, initially we would do it. We were doing this without thinking too much of the future, but we've decided to take it a bit more seriously <laughs> because. Yeah. Because people, a lot more people than we expected are actually listening, and it's it's fun. Yeah, and just bear in mind that's not a lot of that's not a, a lot of people. It's not like we're blowing. No, it's up greater than zero. But like it's a lot more, more than I expected. It's it's more than zero. It's less than a billion. So we've got a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and until we're covering an eighth of the human population, <laughs> we won't be happy. Um, yeah. So at first, as we alluded to earlier in our backstory conversation. We just started this as a way to keep in contact and to do an interesting project together, learn some skills. It's since evolved into a thing that is like quite fulfilling in a, in a strange sort of way. It's interesting to explore new ideas, sort of force ourselves to read things outside of what we might have otherwise read. It's also good, still good to keep in contact with Jack. We've also had some really lovely interactions with people on our discord both in terms of the chats but also i love getting online and like talking to people on the discord in our in our group hangout channel um which i do occasionally and that's been so cool like it's just it's we live in an amazing time to just be able to connect with other people around the world like people from england or the us or different parts of australia or wherever or even like some people from i think some of the listeners have been from like scandinavian countries sweden and yeah just for some reason we have more swedish than australian listeners i still don't understand that (laughs) that's really cool so that's been really fulfilling and then we basically have been discussing like well what does the future look like so at least the way that we're thinking at the moment is that we have like three three things to take into consideration uh one is that the podcast is like a shared project so dividing up roles between jack and i and then figuring out like how to monetize the podcast how to grow it and then essentially splitting the podcast revenues we don't have any, again we don't have any podcast revenues now but like in the future we hope to if we continue the current growth trajectory we think we'll be able to monetize it and make uh potentially make a living off it so splitting that but then even if we don't monetize the podcast directly having an audience of people that are interested in these things that like 
the way that we think and the stuff that we put out means that we can, even if we don't monetize the podcast directly, that we can sort of parlay the attention into um, projects that Jack and I are doing. So in Jack's case, it's his writing. He's about to publish his first book and he's got another two on the way. Um, and for me, I do software engineering, so potentially like some technology that I could be building. Um, so those are the three things, like a Jack-specific stuff, Levi-specific stuff, and then the shared thing itself, the podcast. Do you want to add anything to that, Jack? Yeah, we've been considering a newsletter. Should we be more concrete? Yeah, newsletter, yeah. which would include the notes we've taken like on, show notes. on the particular books that we've read for episodes cleaned up because so the notes that I write for myself are, are probably not that fun to read for people other than me. But yeah, including those things and then something about what we're reading at the moment, that sort of thing. So we've considered a newsletter. Yeah, we're not sure what to do with the... See, like with the Discord at the moment, it's like it's fine in terms of like there's not too many people on it, so it's still good. Um, we don't really want to make it paid because uh, it's good to just not have a barrier there for people to connect with us if, if they want. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, what are some things you are hoping to achieve in the next year? Well, Jack's obviously publishing his book. Yeah. So if we can- For me personally, publishing some sales stuff. for Jack's book, that would be good. Yeah, getting sales for it, advertising it, using the podcast, and then by using the money from those sales to, to get an editor- for a manuscript I've got, um, and then polishing that up, selling that as well. That's the main thing I'm focusing on for the next year. Yeah, and for me, it'll be, there's like a, uh, basically a web, web app that I'm building, or have started building, um, that is relevant to the podcast, and I'll start shilling that at some point. Uh, so if I could get that off the ground. And I, I think like if the two of us could basically... By the end of next year, be able to support ourselves. It might that might be a little bit ambitious, but like I think being ambitious is probably a good thing. Um, but definitely within the next two years, preferably, preferably tomorrow. Look, like let's, if we're being honest, like it'd be great to be able to support ourselves like straight away, uh, because like obviously that would be good to spend our time working on something that we that we're building ourselves. For me, I'm working as well full time, so it's been hard juggling that. So it's mainly around just like growing the podcast and then like figuring out how to make it financially sustainable for us. Yeah. All right. What about this? Do you both have any regrets with some of the earlier episodes or things you'd like to go back and change? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> there are just basic quality things with the earlier episodes. In that, for example, I I produce the episodes and I just didn't yeah, really I know what I was doing. Episodes were far too too high quality, and we need to re-record them and make them lower quality. Make them more black more metal. line with the rest. Yeah. <laughs> I think in some episodes, for example, the, the episode we did on Revelations, we kind of just, it was fun for us to record, but probably not that good to listen to in that we didn't really interact with the text we were reading. We just made jokes for a while. <laughs> no. I, I don't think that's a very good episode. Two hours of jokes. There was another episode like that. There was another episode like that as well. Hammer of the Witches was a bit like that too. I just I don't think we really talked about the book yeah. enough and more made engaged made fun with of the it. text. Yeah, and granted, there are a lot of things to make fun of, but that that's easy and not ultimately that engaging. It's I th I think we're 
much better when we're actually engaging with the text in a in a semi sincere way. Like we always make jokes about it, but when we're at least making some effort to to see the world from the author's perspective. Additionally, I don't think the solo episodes worked that well. I did those basically when we just we just had to to keep up a regular schedule of of publishing stuff. And I don't think that experiment worked that well. I'd be definitely open to do, to redoing some of those episodes with the two of us. But it it yeah, just depends same. on on how much interest there is in those particular books. In terms of redoing and then I, I want to do Bronze Age again. Yeah, yeah. Just we mentioned earlier in the episode. One, there are definitely people, some books that people come to people come to the podcast because of Bronze Age. It seems to be something that attracts. He's gotten enough of like a, a reaction out of the rest of the internet that it's a good source of new listeners. And so putting our best foot forward with Bronze Age would be good. Yeah, and the problem is and that, that was literally our first fire. episode. That was, I think, the first thing yeah, we'd ever recorded together as well. That's the, literally the first thing we'd ever recorded for the internet. So it sucks. Yeah, the fact terrible. that people even kept on listening to us after our first episode is is, is an indictment on our <laughs> listeners and makes me think less of you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who are both of your biggest philosophical influences and how do they help you form your worldview today? That's a That's a really interesting one. Such Thank a Levi's. Sense, sensible given question. that Levi talks about his every single episode, <laughs> his, his answer is probably predictable. Yeah. Why don't you go first, Jack? That's <laughs> not super interesting from my point of view. Uh, for me, one of the big influences has been Edmund Burke. So, for those who don't know, he was an, well, he was Irish, but in, born in the UK, a Whig politician, particularly his book. Reflections on the Revolution in France, which was written about the French Revolution, but before the terror occurred, has has been really formative on my thinking. His basic thesis in it being that societies are extremely complex, cultures are extremely complex, and required by humans to to contextualize their actions and to feel meaning to to restrain our our worst impulses, like our our capacity for violence, our avariciousness, and to bring out the better parts of us. And just because certain cultural forms might not have an immediately apparent role doesn't mean that they're not necessarily doing something important. And so going into society and rationally reorganising it, uh, you can't see the quotation marks around rationally when I say it, but they're, they're very much there. Rationally reorganizing society almost inevitably involves severely fucking up something really, really important within that society and within that social context that, that we exist in. So Edmund Burke has had a really big impact. Jacques Ellul, his, particularly the book The Technological Society, has had a really big impact on me so particularly looking at technology as as a force that remakes humans so it's it's not unidirectional that human beings have ideas and then instantiate them in the world as technologies those technologies also dramatically affect us and how we live how we think how we interact with each other while particularly the causative mechanism that Elul in that book proposes for technological change and the technicization of 
of society, I I don't think is true. I think he gets enough things right to make that book really, really worthwhile. And we might do that book on the show. Yeah, I think that book would be really, really good to do. So I, I liked it a lot. Who else? You can you can talk while I think of other other people who've had a really big impact on me. I guess actually, it's not philosophy in terms of literature because I spend a lot of time reading fiction, and I still read more fiction than nonfiction. But I guess it's a measurement problem in that this podcast might give the impression that I only read nonfiction. The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov has been a really big influence. Oh, really? Yeah, right. It's a, a really, really beautiful story, but also within the context of Russian language literature, it's particularly interesting because so much Russian language literature, the meaning, the the characters in those books oftentimes find meaning in their punishment and atonement. So if, if anyone has read mm. anything by Dostoevsky, mm. they'd, they'd probably recognize that. Whereas in this case with Master and Margarita, I, I know that Bulgakov was from Ukraine, but he wrote in Russian, hence why I say Russian language. With this, it's unusual for Russian language literature in that there's this real sense of liberation within it as distinct from accepting punishment. And so that was, that was really exciting. Kurt Vonnegut, I'd say his worldview is a lot more mm. pessimistic mm. than my own, which might have something to do with getting firebombed in Dresden, but <laughs> that, that's definitely had a, had a big impact. Uh, Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse is a, a really, really beautiful novel that had a big impact on me. Anyway, you, what about you? I'll, I'll think of more non-fiction things. So I feel like this question refers how did, to how did Steppenwolf? How did Steppenwolf influence you? Was have you read the, that one? The beauty of the... No, I haven't. I've read Herman Hesse's stuff, some of his other stuff. A lot of it is the beauty of it and this, this sense in the book of it, it begins in a very, very middle-class um, social environment and gradually the, the layers of mundanity are stripped away and it becomes more and more supernatural. And so demonstrating that there is that feeling yeah. that there is much more to the world than, than your everyday life might suggest. It's hard to to say to give specific examples from literature as to the lessons they've taught you because if the if the authors could sum up what they were trying to say in a few sentences then they probably would have done that rather than writing a novel to convey an idea um who are both of your biggest philosophical influences and how do they help you form your worldview today um I was talking to one of my friends recently trying to explain. I was talking to him about property rights and, and this sort of thing. <laughs> and his, his, it's highly unusual is, for um, Levi, if anyone's wondering. <laughs> my, my friend is, uh, is um, like Australian, but like non-Indigenous Australian. And, um, and from like a, a family that does all right and all that sort of stuff, like has a, has a house and stuff. And I grew up. <clears throat> Aboriginal, as I as I uh, as I've mentioned a number of times on the show, um, and but raised in like Sydney, um, which is very different a very different experience being raised Aboriginal in a place like Sydney compared to say like um, like the Western Desert or like the, mm. the Northern Territory or something. Um, like when I go to other parts of 
the country. Like even though I've got brown skin and stuff, um, like people, I I can easily pass as like something else. Like people think, ask me if I'm Brazilian or ask me if I'm like South American or or something like that when I'm even just in Australia, kind of like racially ambiguous. Um, and when I go to other parts of like the country, uh, to other Aboriginal communities, if they're like, because um, I've got mixed mixed background, like European as well. Um, if they're like people who have essentially like all Aboriginal heritage, so they look like uh, you know like the classic Aboriginal person that like, is on like the two dollar coin or whatever, um, and <laughs> and and they'll they even like refer to me as like Balanda, like in uh, I think it's Yongu. Uh, Yongu is like is one of the tribes or the nation groups up in the Northern Territory. And they, they call like Yongu, so, uh, don't, don't, don't quote me on this because I might be wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure Yongu just means like roughly people and Balanda just means like other people. And they often call white people Balanders, um, but they also refer to like people like Aboriginal people like me as Balanda as well. And so to, to them, I'm just a Balanda. Um, whereas like down where I'm from, we'd refer to like, we'd refer to like white people as Gabars and they're the Gabars over there and we're the Blackfellas. And so I had this like, why am I talking about all this sort of stuff? Because a lot of the stuff that I rant on about is like about like popper or property rights, Ayn Rand stuff or Rothbard stuff is like stuff that I'm learning explicitly. And I was explaining this to my friend who comes from a, a like a white Jewish background, like, hey, there's a lot of stuff that I think that you guys, you actually like take for granted around like property rights and understanding mm, property mm. rights in the Western sense and like institutional roles of like these X, Y, and Z and like the government and stuff. <clears throat> My family and the community that I grew up in didn't have that sort of relationship of like, we, the, the police weren't a good thing in our lives. Like you call the police mm. because you want them to come over to your house. I don't like the police. Like my experiences with the police were all bad when I was growing up. I don't want to have anything to do with the cops. And like my relationship with the state, the state has never been a good thing to me. The Australian state has always been a thing that's been like, uh, you know, like you showed up on my country and like took our land and then made us sing your anthem and you brought your religion here. Like, mm. and so I've always had this like mixed relationship with like Western culture of like being very deeply cynical of it. And then, but then learning about like in particular Popper, Hayek, Von Mises, Rothbard, Ayn Rand, and seeing those Europeans talk about these things like democracy and property rights in the context of like fighting against fascism and socialism in the 20th century, I said to my friend, like, you learned these things implicitly through your culture and through like your family. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like when an, a, a native English speaker uses um, correct grammar, they do it, but they can't necessarily like, it's it's inexplicit knowledge that can't necessarily explain to you why it's like that. But then you talk to somebody who's like learnt a language, learnt English, they come from a different language and they've learnt English really well and they actually on some level know English better than a native English speaker. That's almost how I feel with like property rights and democracy and stuff. Because mm, mm. even when I was younger, I remember getting into an argument in high school about like property rights don't exist. Like this is a fiction. This like what is, you know, like how can you say that you own land like at the very at the very most, like you custodian over a piece of land, how can you own it? Like it's a giant piece of land. What do you mean own? And so all the stuff that I go on about in the podcast is like me almost like going through the process of like 
learning English as like a second language or something and then trying to like learn it explicitly, um, which is kind of weird because, you know, I always like went to university and stuff um, in Australia. So I suppose to some degree there must be a degree of like inexplicit enculturation that I've had, but also mm. I feel like a lot of it's been explicit. So, so that's an extremely long-winded preamble to the question that I'm about to get into. D- direct response to the question, which <laughs> yeah, <that's really laughs> is say context. like, <laughs> like a lot of the philosophical influences I've had in my life are like their philosophies when I was younger that aren't like there isn't a philosopher that I can point to would be like some elder in my community or something like cultural. Like, yeah, this is how we do things, you know, and I can't point you to a book <laughs> about how things are done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's fine, you know. Um, you know, like, so like a good example is like my my inherent, my deep cynicism of the state is like, well, why would you trust the state? You know, because in my family, like the New South Wales state came came around to our our communities and took out, like took my took the generation above me, like took our children <laughs> and took them, you know, if you were mixed race, you would be like the generation above me and the generation above them. So it's only two generations ago. I would like come along and take kids like me, mixed race kids, take them out of the care of the Aboriginal family and put them into state care and make them wards of the state. So I was like, I've always had this like anti-state thing because to me, the state was the sort of the institution that came along and fucked up my community. Like, <laughs> so why should I mm. like them? Um, but now I've got like the philosophical like articulation to <laughs> put words <laughs> to my deep <laughs> resentment towards the state of New South Wales. Um, but when I've grown up and like I'm reading all this philosophy and stuff, the biggest influences on me of late in the last 10 years have been obviously Karl Popper. In um, and then sort of adjacent to Popper, or is 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 David Deutsch. Now, mm. David Deutsch, the way that he puts it is, he says all of my to quote him, he says uh, all of my work is merely a footnote to Popper. And to be fair, like Popper wrote a lot of stuff, but Deutsch made some really really important innovations on what Popper did. And to me, like, there's a moment in different fields where, like, a, ph- a philosopher, a thinker comes along and creates, like, this is a watershed moment. So, like, Charles Darwin, watershed moment for biology. Um, you know, Watson and Crick, watershed moment for molecular biology. In the, um, watershed moment would be, like, Newton or Einstein in, in mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Um, cosmology. And in epistemology, which is like the study of knowledge and how it grows, Karl Popper is that person. Karl Popper is the person who like took it, took us out from like we had like people like Descartes and Hume, um, Kant, and they were all dealing with some like really difficult problems, and none of them really like solved those problems. And then Popper solved them, and. Popper solves them and then we started making progress in epistemology and he refuted like a whole bunch of misunderstandings in probability theory and like Bayesian epistemology. He refuted a bunch of stuff that like now like uh, the objectivists and Ayn Randian people talk about around like they call themselves neo-Kantians but really Popper is the neo-Kantian. He innovated on Kant and took it further like and all these issues that like that like Popper solved and it affects the way that we do science and like 
it is what scientists are doing. Like he's explaining what scientists are doing, how we're creating new knowledge. And Deutsch and people like Lakatosh and Chiara Marletto have like taken Popper's work further. <clears throat> and I've kind of obsessed with Popper because like it's like he made progress. When you read Hume and you read Kant and all these people, it, I get this sense of like, okay, but it's like the ball stopped moving for some reason in like the 19th and 20th century. And then it doesn't get until Popper and then it starts moving again. Um, and the main reason why I think it moves is because his philosophy of knowledge is really the only one that confronts error as an important part. You have to like deal with the question of like, well, how do we, how do we make progress despite making errors? And it's like, it's almost like people like, um, like in other philosophers, almost like it's take Ayn Rand, for example, objectivism, like Ayn Rand almost doesn't want to like admit that you can make mistakes. Like mm. <laughs> it's really weird. Which if you her, her mistakes are really interesting in that it's either you are an objectivist and that turns you into like John Galt and you simply do not make mistakes or you are not an objectivist, yeah. in which case you are just incapable of being correct on things. Yeah. And so that's not, that's not, well, one, it's just a false explanation of the way the world works. But two, what, what really, what's, sorry, uh, what other influences have been? So, okay, so why is this important? Like the popper thing is important because like we, okay, so how do I put this? Um, in the future, if we keep on making progress, we will have a physics of knowledge. And when we have a physics of knowledge, we'll be able to create knowledge, not deterministically, but at such a high rate of uh, throughput and so methodically that <clears throat> we'll be able to like transform the world exponentially, exponentially faster. And we won't be able to get there unless we have a theory that actually explains how it is that knowledge is actually actually exists in the universe and in order to do that you have to kind of like look at knowledge as abstract from people or like abstract from humans and a lot of the other theories of knowledge there's kind of like this implicit like oh yeah it's this thing that like humans interact with which is true on a sort of surface level but a theory of knowledge should also be able to explain say knowledge in the biological world and it should also be able to explain like how computer science algorithms work and it should also be able to explain like how a like an alien civilization creates knowledge you know it should be abstract it should be about it should be a claim about the way the world works rather than about just the way the human mind works which is a parochialism to use a deutsch phrase it's parochial to think of knowledge as just a human thing is is a parochial error um and yeah, so that's been a huge, huge Popper and Deutsch's thinking has been the biggest influences on me. The other one that's mm. been a big influence is obviously von Mises. Von Mises mm. and like Rothbard have been really big in terms of property rights. Because uh, I think, and Ayn Rand to a degree as well, um, like basically it, it's kind of, and I think it'd be worth like reading some Hans Hermann Hopper because I think he goes into this more, but like I'm pretty sure that like, a lot of the other things that we think of as important rights and freedoms are actually consequences, direct consequences of property rights. Um, if you're, say, for example, a, a one, a one, one which kind of got me kind of because I always have been big on freedom of thought and expression, like, mm, mm. well, actually, like, if your body is your property and you're free to do with with it what you want, then 
it's within pr- the ethics of property rights. Like freedom, freedom of speech is actually just a consequence of having property rights over your own body. Yeah, does property do property rights apply? So they they apply to external objects. Do they apply to to your inner experience as well? Yeah. Well, the so Hopper Hopper takes. I'll I definitely mean, have to think about that. Hopper. Yeah, yeah. Popper says the first the first form of property is your own body. Mm-hmm. And if and if you don't, if your body isn't your property, then it has to be the property of somebody. And if it's the property of somebody else, then you're a slave, basically. Like somebody's going to make a property claim on your body, <laughs> um, and it's either you or it's somebody else. And if it's not you, then you're a slave. So. Um, yeah, so that's I can't sell one of my kidneys for a new graphics card. But yeah, but the fact that you can't means that you don't yeah. have full property rights in Australia over your own body. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, those those been big ones. Um, yeah. And and it's it's funny because I actually see like a lot of the historical stuff that my family and community went through, like having land removed or like having their children removed or like having their ventures being like forcibly disbanded by the colonial or state governments throughout Australian history like as actually like they can be pretty coherently just framed as violations of property rights like mm. this uh the british colonial colonialists just came in and just violated just went no nah, you guys don't have property rights <laughs> like property rights over your bodies property rights over your land property rights over your ventures like yeah so forth so forth um yeah, so that's been really weird, actually, like learning that stuff. The other, sorry, the last other big intellectual influence that I will note um, is I can't point at a specific philosopher, but learning about complex adaptive systems in in um in when I was doing my engineering studies, <clears throat> we modeled uh, environmental. So, like, uh, the question is like, can you model the relationship between like the different uh, populations of different species within an ecosystem um, computationally. And how would you do that? Would you model it with like linear equations? Would you model it with something else? Um, and if you get into it, like complex adaptive systems basically like over overturns the way that you would kind of naively model a lot of things and think through a lot of like situations so complex adaptive systems are basically like any systems where you've got like lots of um interacting parts where they're fairly heterogeneous and there's a large number of the parts and you get these so a good example that would be like ecosystems economies communities um but even like um like uh, a fairly simple system would be like a, a flock of birds. You get these like mm-hmm. murmurations, these like patterns that the birds are forming in their flock, their flocking behavior, um, which are really beautiful and amazing. But they're all like they're essentially impossible to predict. But you can you can kind of simulate them, and you'll get these patterns that look that have the same kind of structure to them in the, the evolution of the system over time. But you can't actually, because they're chaotic systems, so chaos just means that like the system is sensitive to initial conditions. So even a small amount, a small change in the initial conditions of the system will lead to a large, that change will become amplified over the evolution of the system. Um, uh, if you 
run those sorts of chaotic simulations, you will never be able to predict a particular flock of birds, like what murmuration, what will the murmuration look like next? Um, but you'll be able to create things that look like them. Um, and so when you apply that thinking to like the economy, which is just profoundly more complex, just so, just like, just so incredibly complex, uh, that to me, it's like the idea, as Jack was saying, of like rational planning of the economy or like a society, like quote unquote rational, just flies in the face of all of the findings of complex adaptive systems. It's just like, it's just profoundly ignorant for people to come along and say, we're going to create this policy that achieves this social outcome as if there's no, there's going to be no other consequences except for the one that we plan and expect. That must be like a 10 minute rant. Sorry. That, must be maybe <laughs> that was a good sorry. answer. <laughs> that was a high yield question. We've got the last question from San Marzano, which is, why is San Marzano the best Discord member and how did he get such cool and wise opinions? I think to an extent this that's is- a, um, That's a really good question. Yeah. Maybe the best a, question. Maybe the best <laughs> one. So we'll, ne- we'll spend the next four hours going over this. <laughs> well, first and foremost, he's a, he's a capitalist pig. Oink, more, oink. Often, more often than not, sending messages on Discord from his money cave <laughs> is, in his defense- Probably the, the most mature member of our Discord server. <laughs> the most head-off one. He's actually just a very sensible person. Yeah. <laughs> just nice. I mean, we all, I also do love the shit talk on the Discord. But to occasionally have somebody say something sensible is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sensible, do you want to start J-Man's questions? Oh, yeah. And actually, San Marzano also gave a shout-out to names. Um as, as part of his, his questions. Okay, or are these? Oh, no, these are, these are bizarre San Marzano questions. Okay, we've still got San Marzano questions. It's Book Club from Hell Street Fighter, Jack versus Levi. You both pick an author from the show that you have to fight the other's author with. Who are you picking and who's winning? Okay, I mean, Ernst Junger, definitely. I'd... I expect we're both going to pick Ernst Junger because I don't know who else would be able to beat him. It depends to what extent you take the author's claims as to their own abilities seriously. So if you seriously can, if you believe that Ilona Selka is able to shift between dimensions at will, then I can't think of a more powerful being than Ilona Selka. If you are unconvinced by her claims, then... The man who survived the First and Second World Wars and lived to the age of 102 is probably your best bet to, to win Street Fighter. Valerie Salinas is or was an absolute maniac, so she would be pretty frightening, but I still think Ernst Junger would get the upper hand, given that she tried to kill people but didn't manage <laughs> it, whereas he killed a lot of people. <laughs> He's got a lot of experience. Yeah, so if you're actually talking about like the actual person as opposed to the claims about their supernatural abilities, <laughs> it's a Junger. Then, yeah, I'll just choose uh, Ernst Junger. Uh, G- Junger versus Junger. <laughs> yeah, hands <laughs> because down. There's that no guy competition. He's, he's literally like Terminator. Like T- he is the, the T-800. Terminator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just keeps um, going. So, who would win, Ernst Junger or Jack? Ernst Junger. Who would win, Ernst Junger or Levi? Ernst Junger. <laughs> Just... Who would win, Ernst yeah. Junger versus Ernst uh, Junger? I think they would they would freeze in this state of inner bliss, meeting a worthy adversary and becoming <laughs> ontologically transformed as a result. 
They'd, if they squared up against themselves, they'd both the just adversary. sit down and start churning out philosophical tracts on what they'd just encountered. But just to keep things interesting, I would put Mishima in there. Yeah, he'd be pretty good. I mean, but he couldn't really fight. He looked really good. Is this a fist? Is this a fist fight? Is it a fist fight, or is it? A, do they get like their weapons? Well, yeah, that's the problem. I think Yungu would, Yungu get a would gun. still win regardless. <laughs> He'd still win. <laughs> he just get a machine gun and start lopping, lopping some grenades. <laughs> like, grenades, you, you know, those like bauble grenades and mortar shells. <laughs> yeah. And Mishima would just be running around with a katana. <laughs> Wait, no, he'd be posing for photographs with a katana. <laughs> um, should we move on to the next question? Yeah, you yeah. have no money. Well, that's not really a question. That's just a statement of facts. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. <laughs> no, you you have no money. You're behind on your rent slash mortgage. <laughs> You're assuming that <laughs> that we've got mortgages, mate. <laughs> behind on <laughs> your rent. <laughs> you have no money, and you're behind on your rent. All right, get to the question, fella. Um, which author from the show are you picking to help you get on your Sigma Hustle grind set to pull some funds together? Who are you picking and how are they getting the money? But Who's the Rand, most rat-cunning bastard? <laughs> yeah, probably Iron Rand, as, as much fun as I make of her, did come to the United States from, from Soviet Russia, ended up like, making money, I think writing screenplays, and then published books, made a bunch of money off those, got well-known enough to form her own ring of, like, objectivist sex pests who all just... Wanted to to rim her at command while while discussing objectivist philosophy that she wrote. She did she did yeah, pretty she well. As ridiculous as She's her life sigma. story is, it is also the a pretty good demonstration of concept or proof of concept that she knows how. She, to stack she did sats. live that objectivist life. She she lived that objectivist. Yeah, she did her life. best. So um, she'd be pretty. Yeah, I, I think mean, she'd she'd like Bitcoin as well. So. The, the question then is, do we need to balance their ability to make money and get famous, which certainly she could do, with their reliability as a business partner? Because I also expect that she'd sell you up the fucking river in a second. She would, she would fuck you so hard. If you yeah. just didn't so that's sexually the- pleasure her 12 times a day. Yeah, yeah. She starts and- pimping you out to all yeah. of the objective. objective to the rest of the, um, the circle. <laughs> yeah, see, I guess if you're going to swim with the sharks, prepare to get eaten, right? So- yeah, yeah. So she might, she might almost be too sigma. Yeah, just too optimized. So who's someone who's less optimized? So okay, so what about William Rees Mogg and James Dale Davidson? They can both oh, yeah. make money. They're, they, I mean, the they sovereign individual was basically the top of a sales funnel to get you into yeah. buying their sovereignty services that they advertise at the end of the book. And they're very They knew how to make well. money. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, but would they also um, shaft you? What about Don Paris, PhD, <laughs> and Ilona Selka? Because they also, hmm. not only they do they know you. how to make money in conventional business terms, but, but they also know how to make could money shaft them. using the SE5. <laughs> and we could they shaft... They might be... Ilana they might be the sweet spot watches. of being sharks, but just like little, just like little reef sharks, not not a great white or something no, like they're that. They're dolphins. And dolphins rape sharks. Mm, mm, that could be dangerous. 
as well. <laughs> dolphins are dangerous. I don't fuck with dolphins. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Look, if to take this question somewhat seriously, yeah, probably F. Gardner because that guy's got a penthouse from his book sales, so he knows how penthouse to fuck, from- fucking <laughs> fuck you up. <laughs> He's yeah. a famous author. Okay, one author. Next question. Uh, one author from the show is joining the Discord. Who do you That's want happened. it to be and how how are they interacting with people on the server? It can't be F. Gardner because oh, we what? know what that's like. Constant shilling of his books on YouTube. Okay, so other than, other than F. Gardner. And other he's than F. Gardner. The are they allowed to be dead? Could they, do they come back to life? Yeah, let's say. Okay. Let's say let's so it can say be any of them. Can- it also depends on what we want, how fun we think they'd be, whether we think they would be good for audience growth. Again, Ayn Rand knew how to build an audience. I'm sure she would also be completely obnoxious if she were given access to the She'd internet. Really I, I would take Yavin. Yavin would be good. Yavin would be very Yavin good. Would be Yavin, great. if you're listening, yeah, yeah, Yavin would be really good. Join, join the Discord. It's um. In fact, I don't really know what we have to show. offer you, but yeah, come on the show. Yeah, Yavin would be great. I think he's legitimately. Yeah, Curtis Yavin would actually he's be legitimately good. strange, strange enough. And and like he's got his own kind of like he's um what would you say um char- he's got his own kind of like charisma you know like he knows how to hold a hold a conversation hold a hold an yeah he's got weird charisma yeah. but he definitely has charisma he's he's got that tism charisma <laughs> the strong tism <laughs> charisma what about bat bat oh yeah oh, I don't know yeah he's the maybe. obnoxious I mean, no, I'd prefer Yavin because Yavin is definitely Yarvin. obnoxious, but he's obnoxious like in a he's way also that like, we could definitely appreciate. He's aligned with, aligned with our obnoxiousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Curtis Yavin is, is yeah, what I'd say. Push your hands down. He can become the new uh, You can <laughs> spam us with flat <laughs> earth explanations. <laughs> you can revive one dead author from the show. Which author would you provide would provide the most benefit to society if they were alive? None of them. <laughs> Yukio Mishima to help revive the aesthetics movement. He'd be a good leader of uh, getting getting jacked. Um, yeah. Genuinely, like if I actually answer this question properly, mm-hmm. either or both Rothbard and 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 Ayn Rand. <laughs> I think if Ayn Rand could settle down her like obnoxiousness, like which I doubt she would, <laughs> that's but, not like, possible. That's, that's part of what makes her Iron Rand. Iron Rand, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Rothbard probably like is super important. Uh, but mm. I also think that there's I I think that like people don't appreciate just like how socialist um, the West is, and we need less socialism. Um, and like Rothbard slash Iron Rand would be good to advocate that. Legitimately good for the world. You both have to choose an author from the show for the other person to live with for a year that they would hate to live with. Who are you picking for the other person? <laughs> there is, Oscar Kismath. Okay, the, the difficulty in this question lies in <laughs> narrowing it down to one person. Because there, okay, there are certain people like Valerie Solanus that I think would pose a genuine threat to Levi's safety if she would live <laughs> with him for a year. <laughs> so... Hate to live with in the sense of constant fear and never being able to go to sleep or turn your back on her. That would be pretty bad. <laughs> you just get knifed. Elliot Roger. Oh, he, God. Well, you'd probably that's end also a legitimate threat actually. to your safety. He, yeah, well, he, he, did, did, he murdered his housemates, so. Yeah. 
yeah, so you'd have to kill them first. Okay, let's assume that you survived the year. So they're not, okay, they're not yeah, able so you're to, invincible. You've got they're not, God they're not gonna on. kill you. Yeah, yeah, but they're just really obnoxious. You've got to put up with their shit. Elliot Roger still, even without the getting murdered part, would be absolutely awful to live with. Yeah. With, he would okay, for example, with a bunch of the shit posters that we've covered, I just I feel like if you get them away from Twitter or their their particular platform of choice, they could actually be interesting people, or at least not completely obnoxious. Which rules out like BAP, Mike Ma, Roaring Nationalists and things. I think I expect those people in person are fine. So it wouldn't be them. Oscar Kiss Meyer. We assumed we assumed that this was to punish the other person, but it's not actually in the question. Oh no, it says hate to live with. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, okay, okay. So we're trying to give them. No, okay. We're trying to make the other person miserable. Miserable. <laughs> <some> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Elliot Roger would probably. Uh, the only other. Oh, what about Big I Lenny? I mean, okay, we haven't covered Big Lenny, but we did claim no, that Big Lenny was Grigna right. from the Eye of Argon, and so <laughs> Big Lenny counts. Have you seen that video of Big Lenny's house? No. Is Holy shit. Is, is, he a, is he a hoarder? I he, he's a hoarder. just an everything. It's just <laughs> an everything. filthy. It's absolutely repulsive. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Big Lenny would be terrible to live with. So, Okay, so Big Lenny's on the list. Big Lenny, Elliot Roger, Oscar Kiss Myert. Oh, what about the... Okay, so these guys come as a trio, the people who wrote Practical Female Psychology for the Practical Man. You have to live yeah, with all three of them. Yeah, you have to live in them. a share house. A, yeah, share, a that... bro share house in, like, I don't know, LA or some bullshit. Um, <laughs> like, that might be the worst, actually. So obnoxious. So oh, obnoxious. Oh, God. <laughs> to hang out with the boys, go pick up some bitches. Except they're yeah, all like 45. To- they're all still 45 and talking Washed about up. picking up bitches. Drinking Bud Light and yeah. not talking uh, to women. Yeah, actually, that yeah. would be, be there would there. be a real danger of me going to prison for premeditated murder. <laughs> I would say there would be a, actually a 100% chance of me decapitating them in their sleep. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, it would be pretty tough to live with Don and Ilana, but I actually don't think it would be. I think it'd be a bit weird. I think they're probably actually... It'd be weird nice and they would be, definitely right? try to sleep It'd be a you. bit weird. <laughs> I just, I still can't you mean- accept that their dolphin viewing business is not a swinger resort in Bali. Just, there's just no chance. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think if I actually just wanted to punish Jack, I would make him live with Elliot Roger, though. I think that would be... Yeah, Elliot Roger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Elliot Roger. Yeah, and the thing is, I think Jack would like living with Ted Kaczynski in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, you could, you could talk to Ted. I mean, look, I, I couldn't bring my gaming PC. <laughs> he's rambling, ranting, rambling. Whilst he's packing his, 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 his pipe bomb into a fucking package, <laughs> mailing it off. I'm sure me yeah, trying to sign up to the, the Counter-Strike 2 beta would really set him off, but yeah, <laughs> he, he's not the worst person you could live with. Next question. There okay. are 16 digits on the back of your credit card. What are they? Yeah. I can't remember them. Thanks a lot, guys. Love the show. Shout out names. I miss him. Yeah, <laughs> <the> names. <laughs> okay, J-Man. Uh, J-Man questions. Are we going to do all J-Man questions? For reading more. Yeah, why not? 
It's actually a really useful oh, question. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. J-Man asked an actual question. <laughs> yeah, this is... I, don't get Shout used out to, to J-Man. This is probably the most coherent question he asked. <laughs> I find setting <laughs> setting a time each day that you read really, really helps because it's it's higher effort than than plenty of other activities you do outside of work and stuff like that. And as such, unless you're deliberately trying to do it, it's way easier just to like scroll on your phone or something like that that you're not actually enjoying and doesn't really add anything to your life but passes time. So setting aside time each day that you're going to read for, I found having a few books going at once rather than one book is good because if you're reading just one book and you really don't feel like reading that, then you're liable not to read that day. Whereas if you've got four or five books going at the same time, then there's always something that you want to read. And that's good too. Restricting when you you game or go on YouTube or Twitter or whatever else you waste time with, that's pretty good. Restrict it to the weekends, for example. So you remove sources of entertainment that aren't reading. That's also helpful. I'm not sure. Like I, I have no idea if it's scientifically backed up, but listening to white noise or something like that while I read, I find is good. It just just helps me concentrate. What about you? You're muted, by the way. <laughs> God damn it. Man, <laughs> I, wish you had heard, I wish you had heard that. It was an extremely profound and concise response, but I, for the life of me, can't remember what I said. You're just going to have to go about it. Sorry. But it was oh. a world-changing response. <laughs> uh, so legitimately, tips and tricks uh, for reading more. So actually, sorry, just one more thing. Practice. Reading's a skill, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of echoing what Jack said, maybe in slightly different words. So the first thing you want to ask yourself is uh, why you're reading what you're reading. So you should definitely have some part of your reading schedule that you're just reading for enjoyment so that you're always mm. in contact with uh, just the, the, the pleasure of reading something that you enjoy. It doesn't matter what it is. High literature, low literature, mm. fiction, nonfiction, poetry, just read something. Um, there's a nice saying that I like, which is uh, read what you love until you love to read. If you just read enough, eventually you'll mm. just start reading stuff outside of what you originally were reading for. Um, <clears throat> then when it comes to reading things that are hard, that you find hard, say, for example, like I, there's certain like computer science things that I don't find particularly hard to read because I just find it interesting, um, whereas somebody else might find them difficult to read. But then say some things that I find difficult to read, other people won't find difficult to read, but not because of the necessarily like the content, not because of like some innate factor of the co content, but because of like whether or not you, you personally find it difficult because it's boring or because... Yeah, not really what you're interested in. If you have to read something like that, like force yourself to for, for class or whatever, um, setting a timer, just being like, I'm going to read for half an hour. Just do the mm -hmm. half an hour thing, Pomodoro or an hour. Sit down with a coffee, like make everything else nice, like go to a cafe or whatever and just sit down and do your half an hour and get, th get through it if it's hard in that sense. Um, <clears throat> if it's uh, also... If it's like an easier read and you can read it. So one mistake that I see people um, 
making is they try to read hard things at night before going to bed. And that's a mistake. Mm. So like mm. when I recommend, say, the beginning of Infinity, which most people find a difficult read, it's quite dense. Um, and I've read it like three times now, I think. And I like when I go back to it, I've always gone something out of it again and again. And uh, there's a lot of insights packed in there, but it's such a dense book that like if you're trying to read that before bed, just like it's in one ear out the other <laughs> and it's hard to read. Like if you've got a legitimately dense book to read that you, you're getting something out of, say a philosophical book, read it first thing in the morning. Don't read it last thing at night. <laughs> read, it, read it as like mm -hmm. your yeah. way to wake up. I find that reading as a way to wake my brain up in, in the morning. So like go to the cafe, have a coffee, read a hard book for like half an hour and then get into the day. <laughs> like that's a great way to start your day. Um, and the last thing that I'd say is, again, kind of echoing what Jack said, um, don't feel as though just because you've started a book that you have to finish it or that you have to mm, keep on yeah, reading it. Yeah, that's a good one. You can let go. That's like just a totally irrational standard that for some reason people think that I've got this book, I'm going to finish it. You know, that's bullshit. Who gives a shit? <laughs> like, nobody, like nobody cares. Nobody even cares if you've read whatever book. Like it doesn't matter. And if you're doing that to yourself, it's just it's completely irrational. Um, just read what you like. And if it means that you're reading five books at once and you're jumping around and you're getting different things out of the different books, that's great. And if you skip chapters, that's great. It's fine. Who cares? If you're not getting something out of a particular chapter, go into the next chapter. It doesn't matter. Um, and then sometimes you'll find, like recently in the last week, I've read two books um, about uh, business. And I just smashed them out, like just straight through, all the way through. And that's because I found them really engaging and useful to some problems that I'm trying to solve right now. And that's great. And then other times, a lot of the time, I'm reading like five or six books simultaneously and I'm just jumping around between them. Yeah, so difficulty, timing, energy levels, and like don't, don't think that you have to finish something just because you've started it. Jack and I have the discipline of finishing books now for the show because we've got this accountability thing <laughs> with the book club where we force ourselves to finish the book. But if it weren't for that, yeah, I like, guess accountability is one thing. That's, yeah, if that, you've that, got some that, reason that be to be accountable, useful. like class, or if you've joined a book club. Yeah, yeah. All right, another disturbingly lucid question from J Man: Best books for productivity or professional advice? This is probably more a question for you because I don't, I don't read very practical books in my own time. I read extremely impractical books in my own time. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with like self-help and productivity books and stuff um, because I definitely think that they can be just an excuse not to actually do stuff. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's pseudo-productivity. It's not really productivity. It's just like you spent eight hours reading that book when you could have spent eight hours like editing the podcast or like building the website or something, you know? <laughs> um, mm. And so with that caveat, um, I guess like the thing is like, I don't know, it kind of depends where you're at in life, it doesn't it? Like how do I answer that question is like generally useful. Look, TBH, like the, the highest form of productivity is like sorting out your epistemology. So like go and read the beginning of infinity. Like because like then when you go and read any other book, like read the beginning of infinity and any of Popper's work that you can stomach. Um, in particular, he's got this book called uh, 
conjectures and refutations. If you can read conjectures and refutations in the beginning of Infinity and potentially the fabric of reality, those three books are worth so much more than any productivity or professional advice. They're worth they're worth a million times more than any productivity, professional, self-development fucking bullshit books. And why is that? Because they teach you about, you'll actually learn about how we create knowledge, how we, what, what a good explanation is. Like when I say to Jack, because Jack, Jack, Jack has read the beginning of Infinity, and you know, okay, Jack, answer me this. <clears throat> what do I mean by good explanation? And why does it matter that it's hard to vary? I just put Jack on the spot for answering <laughs> questions about epistemology. I think if you think about, so that there is a separation between whatever world is external to humans and the particular explanatory models that we use to interface with that world. Probably the better an explanation comes, it asymptotically approaches whatever is exterior to us. Both both in terms of how the, the components of that theory relate to each other internally, so that it has internal consistency, but also to what extent it can predict and explain whatever is happening exteriorly. And part of that is the difficulty of varying it, in that if something's a good explanation and difficult to vary, it means that if you take a component of it and just change it, it's going to really, really affect the explanatory power of it. And a way to understand that is by looking at something that's easy to vary. So if you, you see thunder at night or lightning at night and your explanation is Zeus did it, that's really, really easy to vary because you can change Zeus for saying, oh, well, God did it, so God in the, the Abrahamic sense. The explanatory power of those two models is more or less the same. It just doesn't matter that you've changed the, the particular god that is causing the lightning whereas if you start explaining it in terms of modern meteorology that's a better explanation because just changing a part of that can dramatically affect how that explanatory model works in the world in terms of what it can predict which other explanations it can generate by examining that and then trying to extend it so that that's how i understood the difficult to vary component of a good explanation Okay, so that's 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 me just asking Jack, and he hasn't. I don't think you've read any Popper yet, but I've recommended a bunch of Popper stuff. Maybe a little bit of Popper. Yeah. Like I've I, read, he, I've read a handful of essays by him, shorter works, but I've never read a book by him. So that's just Jack's off the cuff, like based on like a year or two ago reading the beginning of Infinity, right? Like. Okay, so if I ask Jack, say Jack's got some problem to do with business or whatever, and he wants to go and read a business book or a self-help book, with that understanding of epistemology and good explanations, he's going to be able to bullshit detect. When is, when is, when is, the, when is the self-help? Because there's a lot of bullshit in self-help productivity stuff. You need mm. a high, you need a well-refined bullshit detector when you're getting into that stuff. There's a lot of bullshit. Point in case, there's this book called The Secret, which is like about the law of attraction, the quote unquote, the law of attraction. And there's a bunch of crap like that in the self-help guru space. If you don't have a sense of like critical thinking and especially like I'd say like an understanding of what a good explanation is and if I say like correspondence, like what does it mean for a theory to correspond to like the world and all these sorts of things that come out of the beginning of infinity um, and like similar books about epistemology, basically like your critical thinking skills, you're just going to get wrecked by those self-help authors. Like they're just going to take you for every every dollar that they can get out of you, like Tony Robbins and stuff. Those people, you know what the best predictor of yeah, but that guy is so handsome. You do a physiognomy check extremely, on him. 
and you're he's obliged extreme. to believe he's, everything he's he says. An angel. Could someone an that angel. handsome lie to you? <laughs> I don't think so. so. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. This past week, I've been reading books about like building businesses, and I started several of them. And out of like the four or five that I started, I only read two. And because very quickly, I got into one, and he just started talking bullshit. And I could tell that it was bullshit. I was like, I don't even need to read any more of this book because you're so full of shit that I, I just know that like anything else in here is just not even going to be worth like re- even if there is a nugget of wisdom in here somewhere, it's not worth like wasting my time on this. That comes from having a sense of like epistemology, what's a good explanation. So, okay, if you want anything other than that, other than me saying just go and read David Deutsch's The Beginning of Infinity, um, <laughs> any other productivity or professional advice, books for professional productivity or professional advice, there's a really good um, there's a really good podcast episode. It's three and a half hours by Naval Ravikant. Naval Ravikant is a very well-established uh, investor in Silicon Valley. He's invested in things like Twitter and Notion, um, he started a company called Angel List, which is like this big um, investment investing platform for startups to find investors and like early stage employees. Um, he's been very very influential in Silicon Valley. He created this tweet storm, which is the pin tweet on his Twitter profile, and it's called "How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky." Now, although it's got a bit of a clickbaity title, it's legitimately a good like it's a legitimately good source of advice about like building your career in particular like he talks about essentially what is a uh, what you can think of uh, as like a skill stack okay so skill stack what are the different things that you can put together in like things that you like doing but are also useful to other people and mm-hmm. there's there's some skills that are super useful and there's some skills that are not and you don't want to overthink it because you want to do things that like you're naturally inclined to do, like Jack's naturally inclined towards writing. But also writing is an extremely useful skill economically. Like good writers can make a lot of money and um, and provide a lot of value to the world. So especially like good fiction, like you can if you solve an important cultural issue, like you could potentially like be very successful as a fiction writer. Talking, speaking good, <laughs> persuading people, computer programming, like basic arithmetic depending on what type of maths you like going and learning about like different types of math. i would say like vector like a um, linear algebra and vector calculus are extremely useful okay why am i bringing up naval's thing in particular he has this point where he says <clears throat> do what feels like play to you but looks like work to other people now that's got some different components to it uh the first is do what feels like play if it's a feeling then it's an internal experience which means that it's what you're subjective, subjectively experiencing. And if it feels like play, then it means you're doing it spontaneously. You're doing it out of the sheer enjoyment of it. But if it looks like, if some, if it looks like then that, that's an external experience that somebody else from the outside looking in at you. If it looks like work, then that means that the other person, them looking from the outside in, they would have to get paid to do the thing that you're doing, which means it has economic value. So if something feels like play to you but looks like work to others, that's a good heuristic to use as like a guiding light. So like for me, it's like designing interfaces, certain parts of software engineering and like looking at like cloud infrastructure stuff. There's certain parts of like software engineering that I fucking hate and I don't, I try not to do it. But there's certain parts of software engineering that I really enjoy and, but people fucking pay me money to do it 
which is great because I could spend all day coding and like someone will pay me for it. Talking to Jack <laughs> is fun. Uh, to other people, it might look like work. <laughs> uh, reading some of these books. <laughs> Doing these sorts of things. Like it feels like play. And to the degree that Jack and I can keep this up and keep it feeling like play, but it also being economically like valued by the market, and then we'll end up in a, not sure where we'll end up, but we'll end up in a place where like we're doing things spontaneously because we enjoy them and because we get energy out of them and also other people like that we're doing mm. them. So they're going to give us money for it. Um, I would say skip pretty much all professional help advice books except for Naval's podcast, which you can find at nav.al slash rich or go to his Twitter profile. Listen to that and then read The Beginning of Infinity and if you happen to need any other professional advice books, just have like a very high bullshit radar when you're going to read them. Yeah, there's the benefit of at least one of us reading reading books that can be directly applied to to our lives. Yeah, <laughs> like as I'm not sure if it Jack's how much it comes though. he doesn't need them <laughs> comes through. It's I uh, I think I have a much higher tolerance and appreciation for for books that are very remotely applicable. To, to everyday life and Levi. Hence why I think, in general, I enjoy reading Evola and Spengler, whereas Levi has a hard time. <laughs> that, that's the sort yeah. of stuff that I read for fun. I'm pretty mechanical about things at times. <laughs> I want things to be very applicable. Not always. Like, sometimes I read fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to an earlier question, I sorry, there was one book that I wanted to say that has influenced me or philosopher that has influenced me that I didn't mention before. Um, Catch-22. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's that a really book good book. Is f- phenomenal book. But it also, like, there's this, in particular, there's this scene where it's like he's being asked, like, was it the interrogation scene where it's like, why don't you, why won't you go out there? Because it's like, because people are trying to kill me. It's like, <laughs> no, you have to go and fly. <laughs> why don't you, what are, no, 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 no. Don't you get it? There's people trying to kill me out there. It was like, no, it's war. Like, just go and fly the plane. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, exactly. The Asarian's framing of it as people he doesn't know keep trying to kill him. It's just so <laughs> funny. It's just, it's, <laughs> like, it's yeah, a, that's war. Such a great way to view the Second World War. And, and I just, for, some reason just the profound absurdity of that book kind of affected the way that i see life as well it's like the profound absurdity at times is like of the life that we live yeah well that's that's the power of most of the most effective fiction where it it's different from non-fiction on a at a surface level in that it's not it's not biographically true in that yesarian never existed as a historical figure. He was not fighting in Italy in the Second World War for the for the United States of America. But as soon as you move below that that surface level of unreality, it's true in a in a much deeper sense. And yeah, I also like that the absurdity came from just stating the fact. It is the a fact that when you go to people, war, I don't people know, that you don't know are trying to kill me. It's like, yeah, yeah, hmm, yeah. That is a pretty, <laughs> that's pretty right. strange situation to end up in. Hmm. Yeah. So I feel that way with life at times. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. I've spent way too much time thinking about. Read catch. Read, that's my recommendation. Naval's Rich podcast slash Twitter Storm. Um, 
uh, the beginning of Infinity and Catch Twenty Two. Read those; those are the best professional mm. productivity advice books. <laughs> and, yeah, and read as I lay dying by William Faulkner. It's probably not directly applicable to your life, but it's very beautiful. That's oh, good. and another it's really a, good, another book. really good productivity and professional advice book would also be <laughs> would be um, uh, Atlas Shrugged. No, oh, no, legitimately, like, go and read Atlas Shrugged as well. Stop being a little bitch. Like, this is the thing that I don't, <laughs> <laughs> this thing I don't get about, like, that's why I like Ayn Rand. She just doesn't give a shit. She's just like, yeah, trains are awesome. Like, built, like, cool architecture is awesome. Fucking engineers are awesome. Like, why do we have all these mopey bitches, like, going around, like, oh, the world sucks. Like, it's so hard. Life is hard. It's like, just go and build something like stop whining like bridges don't manifest out of nowhere it took somebody building the goddamn thing like who needs professional advice when you've got objectivism <laughs> yeah this is another difference in the, the the fiction we like is i just didn't really like Atlas shrugged it had its moments but <laughs> those moments were buried in like 60 page monologues <laughs> Man's Search for Meaning. That's the other book by Viktor Frankl for productivity and, and professional advice. I think don't the thing that you don't want to do <clears throat> productivity is okay. Man, I've got so much to say about this. One of the things about so I'm gonna first let me just finish this rant off, Jack. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two things to say. Firstly, don't do things that you find meaningless. Like it, it, it'll be much better mm. to like live poor and meaningfully than to become successful and lead a meaningless existence. Preferably, you can end up doing both, being both materially successful and lead a meaningful existence. But preference the meaning. Like go for the meaning first if you can, to the degree that you can get away from like, like the economy is extremely big with the internet. You do you know? Okay, think about it like this: when you get your phone, mm-hmm. the thing that you're listening to this podcast on right now. That device puts you the same distance away from like five billion other people on the planet. You are, it's like, imagine those like markets in like those old Middle Eastern markets, you know, like where we get the word bazaar from. Like, and uh, imagine like somebody who lives uh, in one of the houses coming off the street from the, from the town bazaar. And they're bitching and moaning about, oh, there's no opportunity. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, I need to find a job or I need to sell something. It's like, mate, you live next to the town bazaar. Like, just make a rug, I don't know, take it into the town square, try to sell something. Like, it's like you live next to the bazaar. There's other people coming here from like 30 kilometers away. They're putting stuff on a goat and coming all the way to the bazaar every week to sell some stuff. They're making, they're figuring it out. It's like, it's like that, except instead of living, on the same street as the bazaar where there's like a couple hundred people on your phone is a supercomputer that puts you in direct contact with 5 billion other people. And there's these platforms with hundreds of millions of people on them that are designed to push your content out to the people that find it interesting. You have absolutely no excuse not to be going out there and doing something with this technology. It's profoundly insane. And like, just go and do something preference meaning, but you, you absolutely, doesn't matter like how little skill that you've got right now. You can 
find any skills that you want on the internet for free. Khan Academy, Sailor Academy, YouTube, right? It's at your fingertips. If you're listening to this goddamn show, you can listen to like some Khan Academy. You can learn how to program. You can learn how to design stuff. You can learn how to do copywriting or anything. And you can get access to the world's biggest market. The, the, the civilization has never seen a market this big. It's it's enormous. And so that's the first thing. The second thing that you need to also understand about professional what advice. What if you don't have Hunter Eyes, though? Because if well, you don't for, have Hunter well, then you should, you should get then, it. First buy a hammer and smash yourself in the face with a hammer. <laughs> Bone smash and get Hunter Eyes. <laughs> the, the second thing is leverage. Okay, productivity is not a function of the amount of time that you can put in. So it is just a fact that nobody, like, Elon Musk to like the poor kid scrabbling around in the slums in like New Delhi. All right. They've got the same amount of time in the day. You can't leverage up your time. That is not how productivity works. You don't become more productive by working more. You literally can't like people. This was a trap that I fell into when I was younger. I thought productivity meant working more and in or and or working more like quote unquote efficiently, like doing something like GTD, getting things done, or like organize your notion into this sort of thing. It's like no, that doesn't matter. You know what matters? Like getting ten million dollars and deploying that into like a business, or like getting more machines to do like scaling your technical infrastructure from a hundred machines to a million machines, like. Our machines, our technology, we can get so much more leverage out of it. I'll give you an example. There's this, <clears throat> there's this. Uh, I think it's called the the Hercules, the Hercules crane. That thing can lift something like 150 tons. 150 tons. A single crane can lift like 150 tons. I think it's the strongest crane in in the world. It might even be more than that. It might be like it can lift like the strongest crane in the world. Strongest uh, crane in the world. Okay, the strongest. Oh, the Tyson can lift uh, twenty thousand tons. There, that's that's better. Twenty thousand tons. That's like that's like a plane. It can lift a plane. Okay, mm. there is no human. The the question of like how do you lift more weight is not. If you're actually like if you're asking that not about like being a bodybuilder, but about like how do you how does a person lift more weight? It isn't by becoming stronger. It is by leveraging up your technology. <laughs> and when yeah, it comes to like really strong. You could live. You get big learning. You can lift twenty thousand tons. But if you are, <laughs> if you go and get leverage, like this podcast is giving us leverage. It's taking time, but like, if it leverages up and leverages up and leverages up, we'll get to the point where, like, when Jack says, "Hey, buy my book," it won't be to a few dozen people. It'll be to thousands of people. And so it'll take him the same sentence to pimp his book, but it will be leveraged. So. Shift your shift your thinking from like how do I become more productive to how do I get more leverage? Go and get you some fucking leverage. Yeah, get that that F F Gardner hustle grind set going. <laughs> okay, what about this question? Has that that was way too coherent. This gay sex as a man but with woman thoughts on this strange behaviour. Yeah, look, that just sounds a bit. A bit too alien to me, having sex with a woman. Um, what is sex? I'm just not comfortable with that. Furthest to spend my time with the dudes. As long as it's a, as long I will have sex with a woman if it's made out of plastic. Is mm. that okay? Is that acceptable? And is it still gay sex? Can it be a woman made out of plastic, but that's got a penis? Yeah, it's it's hard to establish the the ontological state, the inner state of a of a plastic doll, which makes it 
very difficult to know if it's if it's gay sex or or gross sex. Yeah, but if I absolutely had to have sex with a woman, I suppose I could, as long as it's gay. I suppose sex. it would be the one I'm married to. Yeah, it might be the one that. Yeah, I'm traveling through Indonesia with right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um. Uh. Opinion on the marshmallow problem. The marshmallow problem. Let me see. If this is, I think this is the experiment where they got a bunch of kids. I'm not sure how old they were. So let's just say like primary school age kids and put a marshmallow in front of them and said, if you eat the marshmallow now, you just get a marshmallow. And if you wait some amount of time without eating the marshmallow, we'll give you another marshmallow. And apparently it correlated with things like educational attainment later in life, income, etc. Like the kids who were able to wait for the second marshmallow um, did better in life. I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much. I don't have any strong opinions on it. I'm extremely skeptical of the fact that the fact that they were feeding them the poison of simple carbs instead of high protein food after after sets of heavy threes with back squats upsets me, and I think that's child abuse. And the people who who ran the experiment should be sent to prison for that for being Gaines goblins. As to the psychology of the, the children. As opposed to the the psychologist running the experiment, I'm not I'm not so sure. Yeah, you see, this is a reflexive phenomena, and it, it's which means it's effect like the thing that's being studied is like a person, and their cognition can affect the outcomes. So I would like to see that experiment rerun, but say at some point later after doing the original experiment with the children, then teaching the children about the study and what the findings of the study are and also teaching them about like self-control and then seeing how knowledge about delayed gratification affects their ability to delay gratification. The reason why I'm skeptical of that is because like <clears throat> this psych- there's this almost like uh, – in psychology, uh, looking for like a recipe or like, um, yeah, like deterministic formula for like, if we can find out these things about a person early in their life, then can we predict where their life will go later on? Um, but it never controls for the fact that people can acquire knowledge, which can change the way that they behave. So if you mm, tell somebody mm. who had a, an indication of low ability to delay gratification early on and then you explain to them, hey, this is the way this thing works. This is why delaying gratification is good. This is how your dopamine system works. And then you tested them again to see if that affected their behavior. That would be interesting. But I don't Mm, think that psychologists generally think more than like a single layer deep. So <laughs> I'm not a big fan of psychology as a discipline in general. I'm pretty skeptical of all of those yeah, well, sorts it's, of findings. It's, it's a discipline where it's it's very hard to design controlled experiments because the system that you're studying is so so incredibly complex and one that can be aware of the fact that it is being studied. Yeah, and so also it's, it's creative. Like you're studying yeah, something that's creative. And so like I mean, try to predict, okay, so what was, if you study, if you took any number of like, uh, say you come up with some battery of tests of like delay gratification, yada, 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 and you apply that to Ted Kaczynski when he was five years old, how would you predict that he would have become the Unabomber? 
like, yeah, well, I mean, happen. that was that was where MK altering him came in handy. <laughs> really helped. That'll really help. Yeah, yeah and you're not even taking helped. into account like uh, like yeah. There's just so many issues with those studies. I just I am so yeah yeah. I'd say no, uh, I'm I'm sympathetic to psychologists, and I think while there there are a lot of terrible studies coming out of psychology by really by nature of the fact that it's such a complex field and the object of study is so complex when you do have well-designed studies it's particularly impressive because rather than dealing with say subatomic particles which behave in a not a wholly predictive way because it's quantum but you know a, a simpler way than a human um, so pe- psychologists who can design good experiments are very very impressive yeah i would say my my other major criticism of psychology as a field including with regards to the marshmallow problem is that it's not explanatory so often it's behaviorist which means they're just trying to make correlations between like some input say like performance on like some test or like you know like timing the amount of time that a kid delays having a marshmallow and then <clears throat> correlating that to like income when they're older like I mean, just go and read the beginning of Infinity. Like, <laughs> it falls into the behaviorist and uh, like camp without actually coming up with like an explanation, a hard to vary explanation, and in particular one that takes into account human creativity. I just think that those sorts of things. I I'm sympathetic mm-hmm. towards them in that I appreciate that they're trying to like understand things. I'm not going to stop people from trying to understand these things, but they always just seem to be really big, like. To me, what seemed like really obvious, like, hey, did you think of the fact that like they're creative and they can change their behavior based on knowledge acquisition? Like that seems like a pretty reasonable thing to ask of a of a study like that. Mm. Okay. Do you want to answer one more question and then leave the rest of the questions for another episode? <laughs> this is almost two hours in. And wow. we've, we've can you, so many would you even be, questions. Could you imagine if somebody's actually listened to two hours of us talking about these things? Fire out. <laughs> Shout out to anybody who's There's a lot this, more to come. This part of the episode. Yeah, I guess we'll get two Q&A episodes out of this. Um, uh, should breast milk be sold in store? Would you drink it? Would you be okay for your wife to sell it? And thoughts on hormone replacement therapy? <laughs> Wait, let's do both. Let's do those two <laughs> questions. <laughs> All right. Should, mis- should, should breast, breast milk, milk be sold, be sold in, store? in store? Sure, why not? <laughs> Yeah, I don't really care. Like, if, I would. if someone really wants to buy it, sure. Would you drink it? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> would you be okay for your wi- for your wife? I only to drink sell from it? non-human mothers. <laughs> yeah, um, give me that cow titty juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, would you? Would I be okay for my wife to sell it? Uh, hmm. I, no, it's I mine. Find it, I find it a little bit that strange to me. It's mine. It's my milk. <laughs> Woof. Um, <laughs> I just find it really strange, and I guess I wouldn't stop her, but presumably I'd also have a child. That's the reason why she's lactating. So I'd be like, why don't you <laughs> give, probably do more why, with that milk. Why don't we use that for our child <laughs> instead of selling it? <laughs> like, Yeah, but what, what if someone doing? pays you more money for it than the child does? <laughs> <laughs> What if somebody pays you more for it than your than your own infant child? <laughs> Come yeah. on, son! Like the infant child, you need to start fresh working. out of the womb. 
<laughs> just start screaming at you and you realize that that little that little piece of shit doesn't have even a cuck buck to their name. <laughs> like you gotta pay your way around here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't accept freeloaders. Yeah, just come out six minutes and you're already fucking freeloading off the rest of the family. Go get your own breath. Where's your <laughs> leverage, mate? <laughs> um, doesn't even home. have doesn't even have a software wallet, let alone a hardware <laughs> wallet, for paying me with sound money for. <laughs> For, for, for his own breast mother's milk. breast milk. <laughs> so I'm going to go and I'm going to sell it on... on uh, The sheer <laughs> entitlement. I'm going to go and sell it on Silk Road. I'm going <laughs> to sell that breast milk and show the baby me packing it up in a parcel so that it comes to understand the value of generating money, generating value and exchanging it for goods. Welcome to the market, son. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, yeah, I'm strongly in favour. Of it being sold, so that so that children can learn what the real world's like. Strongly in favour. None of the none of this fairy tale stuff about a free lunch, about a free breast milk lunch. Nah, <laughs> I'm not raising any communists. <laughs> There's no free lunch. <laughs> just comes out of the womb. Child. You just put in free to choose in their hand and say, "No free lunch, mate." <laughs> <laughs> Start, and just put suction cups on, on, on the mother's breast. <laughs> Start pumping it. <laughs> Plugging it straight into Amazon for breast milk. It's like it's like that scene from The Simpsons with all the rat the rat milk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What oh, about yeah. this one? Thoughts on hormone replacement therapy. I personally think that testosterone and estrogen should be sold over the counter. Not because I care about trans rights, but mainly so I can experience gender euphoria and reverse all the xenoestrogens in my blood. <laughs> so, so this is a real, the head, the heart says yes and the head says no when it comes to <laughs> selling PEDs over the counter. In that, I like the idea of if someone really wants to inject themselves <laughs> with, with synthetic and androgens, I mean, you know, the cool ones that let you stack on muscle and get get nice hypertrophic organs, get nice organomegaly that women love, get that bubble gut. I like that idea reflexively. In practice, who are, who are the people in society most likely to buy testosterone over the counter? Fucking moron teenagers who have no concept of the fu- of like of themselves <laughs> thirty seconds in the future. Let alone of themselves after all their hair's fallen out, they've gotten bacne, completely shut down their their testosterone or endogenous testosterone production from blasting test at like five x physiological level. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will definitely fuck up a generation of people, but the aesthetics possible, the societal average of aesthetics would rise quite a lot. In terms of taking estrogen, I you know people can can do that. It doesn't get you stacked. Don't know why why you do that. Why you'd want to? <laughs> Foreign concept. Yeah, so I guess we should distinguish between like HRT and like anabolic, like super physiological levels of, of taking. And H- also for HRT who, for is always just it's a it's a fig leaf. Uh, like i i've recently been taking exogenous testosterone under the guidance of like a doctor (laughs) and jack 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 um jack uh jack uh, levi did ask my advice on this 
And he said, don't do it. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to do it. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's like the doctor's like, well, try this much. You can stop when you want. You're not going to be super physiological. Like I'm still in the normal range. I don't even know if it's that good, to be honest. Like, I don't know if it's worth the price tag. So that's because you're not taking enough. <laughs> like, I guess you kind of feel like I've felt like a bit more energy. <laughs> like, it's not, it's nothing like to write home about. Your test scripts keep running out a third of the way through. <laughs> Why is this happening? Why does this happen? And then the other thing is because it's in Indonesia, like, and it's with an Indonesian doctor, it's like, God forbid, an Australian doctor. Like, I don't think an Australian doctor, unless they were just completely unscrupulous. Because there are, there are Australian doctors who will like do that, but. You got to find them. You got to go looking. And uh, I don't know if I really. Yeah, I, give I a feel shit. like there should be a PSA here. It's like this is not medical advice. I repeat, not medical advice. But don't <laughs> no, take no, don't take advice. exogenous hormones <laughs> for the gym. Like, just don't do it. It male sex hormones affect a lot of things in your body, and if you take a lot of them, you're gonna really fuck up a lot of stuff. Just don't <laughs> do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, and especially if you're taking like, uh, I mean, some of the doses that people take in like bodybuilding scenes, like even people who they're are not just fucked, who are not like bodybuilders, but they're just like casual gym goers, but they're still just want to get like, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not going to tell somebody what to do with their own body. I just think that's it's like I just wonder whether or not it's really like if it if it's worth it. Like you can do a lot of damage at those doses. Some some of the doses that people do, but yeah. So I'm trying it at a lower dose. Uh, I don't know if it's really worth it. I might stop. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. So I'm not against it. We've kind of and gone also, a bit off topic with the question, but if you're 50 as well, like there's a difference between like an 18 year old doing HRT and a 50 year old or a 60 year old or a 70 year old dude doing HRT. I don't yeah. give a shit. Yeah, there's a world of difference. Uh, like if you're like 50 and you like want to ultimately, st- ultimately it's your body and you can do what you want with it, but you need to be aware of the downsides and yeah, yeah like both male and female sex hormones change a lot in your body that they have a very, very yeah. wide range of tissues that they affect and there are downsides. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, should they be sold over the... Like, are you legitimately asking me if they should be sold over the counter? Or, um, probably counter. not. Like, probably no. like, <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That's probably about it. I think at the very least having, like, like some... I, I can joke about how funny it would be if everyone was taking exogenous tests, but you have <laughs> so many problems. <laughs> like, at least having a check, like, some check there of, like, forcing the person to see a doctor before they do mm. it or like whatever is probably a good thing because there's a lot of uh, like yeah but then again like there's a really reason give, why really youtube bodybuilders <laughs> keep dying at age 30 <laughs> right. what's what's gonna happen to liver king how long do you reckon he's got left like 10 years oh fuck yeah that <laughs> apparently he was spending I mean, it- eleven thousand us a month on his on his hormone on his hormone okay. So the thing is, oh, if so the question was just about hormones. The thing is, a, a lot of people who are taking PEDs for effectively for their job, like Liver King's job is in large part to be stacked and to say ridiculous things on social media. Yeah. In his case, it's not just the 
the exogenous hormones that he's taking that'll be problems. Mm. It'll be other things like, for example, something like clenbuterol or some other amphetamine derivative to make you lose fat. But that mm. is just not good for your heart. <laughs> it's cardiotoxic. And yeah. if you if you combine that with something like high dose anabolic steroids, which cause cardiomegaly, it's just <laughs> like <laughs> it's a real problem. <laughs> it's just a time. It'll also bomb. be um probably taking something like IGF one, insulin like growth factor one. That's pretty common. You might be taking GH. The absolute, but some of the stupidest things you hear about are people taking insulin, insulin for its, Yes, so dangerous. Yeah, for bodybuilding purposes. And that is just like that. You are so close to killing yourself in, in a matter of seconds if you overshoot. Like The other two. That is one the of other, the stupidest things you can possibly do. <laughs> the, other, the other two big ones I, are I cannot overstate how dumb it is to take <laughs> insulin for bodybuilding. Yeah, that's kind of a death sentence. Like, you're really fucking playing with fire. If you're doing that, you probably deserve to to, to overshoot it and die. Being that terminally stupid. <laughs> terminally stupid. Um, yeah, the other big ones are growth hormone and human chorionic gonadotropin, I think, is sometimes prescribed. I don't know why. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean... All things come with risks. I once met this woman who was in her 50s who was on GH and she seemed to be mm. saying that it's like she found it really helped with her like sex drive and like just her energy levels and stuff. I think it probably comes a bit different like once you've had children, like especially for like dudes, like you're playing with fire if you're taking anabolic steroids with your fertility. But if you're like 50, you've already had kids and you don't give a shit, have at it. <laughs> well, I guess so we need to disaggregate a few things here because the question was kind of should it be sold over the counter and if when i'm being (laughs) yeah if i'm being sensible no absolutely not if i just want to have fun yes (laughs) be able to take it like i think it's it's your body and ultimately you know if if you are really fucking stupid with the things you put in your body and die when you're 31 then that's it's ultimately it's on you the people around you also pay a cost because yeah for example, if you have kids, you've just you've just robbed them of a a parent. If you have <laughs> because a partner, you just wanted you just wanted to like, be able to peck dance, so <laughs> yeah, you want to do so an peck dance. So you took out a bolt of thirties. Yeah, but even like e- even if you're doing it under medical supervision, you just have to ask why are you why are you doing this. Most of the time, it's because people <laughs> just want to look musclier, and it's just a really. <laughs> Bad, bad reason to do it. Yeah, As so someone the, who I love the gym, but it's just not a good reason to do it. <laughs> um, but I like I, I told Jack and uh, some of my other friends um, about me trying it, um, and that I'll let them know how it goes. It's it's okay. It's fine. It's nothing. It's no. It's no. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't have experience with the estrogen side of things. At least with the t- testosterone side, there are things you can do in terms of lifestyle to improve your test levels: sleep, food, are, yeah, which sex. are things that just improve your health overall. Yeah, yeah. Get enough sleep, your body eat well, you exercise a lot, healthily. get enough sunlight, and inject Decker into your ass. 
that's the other thing that will be yeah, really well, the, good the, for you. The Decker <laughs> is just assumed. If you're alive, you're taking Decker. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. I well, really, really want... Just want cartilaginous growth. I want those big, weird ears, giant bulbous nose, and that weird lantern jaw that bodybuilders have. I don't care about the muscles. That's what I'm going for. The weird bodybuilder <laughs> face. Um, We're going to look like Rich Piana. Yeah, they do have a weird face, don't they? I Rest what, in peace. What is that? Is that, their, is that like it's messing with their jaw or something? Is that what, Yeah, well, it's, yeah. there's a reason why men have much larger and more prominent jawlines than women is because it the exposure to male sex hormones makes it grow. Even after puberty? Like, Which is why women who women who jump on test, their faces yeah, look all fucked up. It's not because they're they more... Start, their, their mandible starts getting bigger. And why bodybuilders who've been taking exogenous androgens for, for years also have really weird-looking faces. Because also your cartilage grows. Like, your ears get really uh, fucking big and they have that weird nose. So it's not just because they're getting lower, like they're more um, like lower body fat percentage. It's actually, and you've also got no, your no. like your you've got your jaw muscles, right? Like your masseter yeah. and stuff. Like that'll be becoming more developed as well. So you actually think it's a, it's actually a bone, <laughs> it's a bone growth thing. No, because I is yeah. I would have thought that you'd need like open um, like growth plates and stuff to. Look. No, no, the the bones grow so. Okay, right. With growth plates, that's that's lengthening of long bones particularly. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you, you actually do get bone development. Um, Great. Well, I'm face. looking forward to having a much more alpha jaw and more hunter eyes. Well, you, <laughs> yeah, you need months. to be taking more tests. <laughs> Just quintuple your dose. more tests. <laughs> no, thank you. Get that warrior no. skull. <laughs> no, 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 no. Start I'll looking okay. more and more simian. <laughs> um. Okay, so we've got a bunch. There's he, there's still heaps of J Man questions, there's but I so, I feel like so we'll be able to get a whole a whole second episode of Q and A out of out of these questions, which is good because maybe we can do a second Q and A after our next ever. I mean, after our next um, Spangler, Spangler yeah. episode. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. Well, if you actually manage to listen to two hours of us ranting at questions, <laughs> congratulations, congratulations, you get the innate reward of being slightly older than you were two hours ago <laughs> after listening to us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You get that little squirt of dopamine every time we say something funny. Hopefully it was, I, I like, like legitimately though, like hopefully some of our answers to some of these questions were like useful. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we're delivering value. Hopefully we're delivering value. I'm all about delivering value. <laughs> if we are delivering value, uh, you can help out the show by giving us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. That really helps. If you want to get in touch with us, you that can- That would actually be really helpful. That'd be really helpful. If you want to get in touch with us, the easiest way is by joining our Discord. Um, you can also hit us up on Twitter, but we don't really check that very often. We're definitely on the Discord, so. Um, uh, yeah, pretty bad with Twitter. Yeah, and you can ask us questions. Uh, also, we have a Patreon as well where you can ask us questions. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, anything else, Jack? Next episode. Oh, that's all. Next episode. Thanks for listening. Water of Life or something. Next episode will either be a continuation of of Spengler's first volume of The Decline of the West, or a or something shorter 
depending on how much of Spengler we can get through between now and, and next Sunday. Yeah, it's turning out to be a lot harder than I was expecting. So. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. I've read enough of it that Spengler's logic now makes sense to me, so it's easier, but it's still pretty slow going. So so we'll see how we, how we do it. All right. Well, thanks for listening. All right. Thanks for listening. See ya.